Hello there. Welcome back to the Ladies of Golf podcast, where we introduce you to women who are playing, working, and enjoying the game. I'm your host, Abby Liebenthal, founder and president of For the Ladies. So to kick off March Madness, oh, you didn't know we're a basketball podcast now. Just kidding, sort of. Our latest Ladies of Golf feature is Lauren Numera, who is an LPGA Level 1 Certified Golf Instructor at Five Iron Golf Chicago. And she's a basketball referee for the G League and NCAA Women's College Division I conferences. Pretty badass, right? Well, she may not admit it, but Lauren's story is super cool. She played Division I basketball and golf and has continued to balance out her life between two sports. So we talked about her career path, working at Five Iron, being a female in two male-dominated industries, and just about earning respect. This is a fun one, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Uh, well, I'm glad we were able to do it and we'll just get into it. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to start with your quick nine. What is your favorite social media app? Instagram. Definitely Instagram is the one I use the most. Um, I try to post on there at least once a week. Nice. Last song you added to a playlist? Um, Cold Heart, Elton John, Dua Lipa. It's just like an easy listening uh, song. You can listen to it going to sleep on an airplane, driving, kind of anywhere. It's got a good vibe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you prefer playing nine or going to the driving range? Definitely playing nine. Um, I've always been just a, a practice on the course type of player. Um, and if I do get a little bit of time, I like to go out and play with friends. So I, that's how I kind of use my time. Yeah. Favorite golf apparel brand. Um, last year I found Abendroth, which is like a, a women's own golf company. Um, the founder was in Twin Cities, but they make women's golf pants that are, they actually have pockets and zippers and all the things that we want. Um, so I love that. And I love full wedge golf, which makes just like fun polos um, based in Canada. Cool. Both great ones. Uh, in your free time, are you playing basketball or are you playing golf? Definitely playing golf. Um, honestly, I haven't picked up a basketball and maybe like two or three years, even just to like yeah. shoot. Obviously I touched it on the court when I referee. Um, but because I make a lot of my money on my legs, I try to stay off the court as much as possible, especially playing like pickup or things where I might just get injured. Um, mm. um, but yeah, I used to love just kind of going to shoot, but now I spend most of my free, free time playing golf with friends. Nice. Last book you read. <laughs> I'm not much of a reader, <laughs> um, but I do have to read the rule book like for refing. So I would say, <laughs> I would say the rule book. <laughs> that works. Um, what is a podcast that you recently listened to? Um, well, I listened to a lot of yours. Uh, you. the, the latest ones on the, on the females in the golf industry. I like some of those. The turf grass one I thought was really interesting. Um, and then when I'm traveling, I listen to Sarah Spain's podcast. That's what she said. She has a lot of really cool, interesting guests on. So that's one I really like. Nice. I'll have to check it out. I, I haven't yet. Um, favorite golf course that you've played? Um, Tobacco Road. I played it last year with some friends and I just thought it was like a unique vibe. Um, kind of that perfect blend of, of serious and, and relaxed where um, you're able to just be totally immersed in the golf course. So I loved it. Mm, yeah. It is a wild one. Lots of blind <laughs> shots. <laughs> it's like target golf. So it was very yes. challenging and fun at the same time, but also just like good people all around. 
in the pro shop and, you know, everything they had to offer was awesome. Well, this question I've been asking because you brought it up to me when we chatted last. Um, so what is your biggest pet peeve in golf? So my biggest pet peeve in golf is it goes back to what we talked about earlier with the golf brands. Um, for some reason, you know, a lot of women's golf apparel, they don't think that we need the same functional um, products that men do. So women's golf pants with no pockets or zippers, that's kind of my number one thing. So for some reason, they think we want like slip on golf pants, uh, just, you know, just kind of pull them up. Um, and so I would love for golf pants to be just as functional as the male one. So zipper in the front, belt loops if you want them, pockets to put your tees in. Um, we need all the same things that, that the men do. So that's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> and that's why Emily's Abendroth pants, the Peggy pant is... Exactly. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to convince her to make a tall version. Um, she kind of <laughs> just goes through the ones that she like makes, you know, cause it's a pretty, pretty small company, but she'll, when I order something, she'll send me like the longest one that she found in the batch, which is really nice, but hopefully she, she starts to make a taller version too. Oh my gosh. You're so funny. I have the opposite problem because I am five foot one. And so a lot of her pants run too long on me. So nothing's <laughs> perfect, but we figure it out. Yeah. Well, it's definitely easier to get them shortened, right? Because if, yes. if they're longer, you run out of fabric. So, <laughs> so true. All right. Well, let's get into it. I, you know, you teased, we both teased basketball and golf. So people listening today probably will expect that we're going to talk a little bit about both. Um, but I would love to start with just, you know, how did you get into golf? What came first for you? Was it golf? Was it basketball? Yeah. Um, and give us a bit of background. Um, so for me, I think uh, basketball came first. Um, growing up, I was the middle child, so I had two, two brothers. Um, my older brother is four years older, so he was, he was kind of going around playing different sports. So um, they would, you know, bring the, the stroller and park me, you know, just courtside at his game. So that was kind of my first memories of, of being near the basketball court. Um, my dad's dad actually played college basketball at DePaul. Um, so on his side, there's a little bit more of the, the basketball experience. So, um, that's, that was my first sport. And then quickly after golf came, they both kind of just overlapped throughout my childhood. And I can remember playing both as early as I would say like five years old. Yeah. And it's nice that like, you know, in a traditional school format, they probably had different seasons. Yes, exactly. And that's why I was able to play them all through high school. Um, but growing up, I, I played everything. You know, I was your typical tomboy, golf, basketball. I did Taekwondo, nice. um, soccer. I played baseball with the boys for a bit until like, I think fifth grade. And then I switched over to softball. Um, but in high school, I settled on golf and basketball as my two. Nice. And do you know why? Like, do you know why those two stuck? Um. <laughs> I, I have a vague theory, but uh, <laughs> you tell me if this makes sense. So I was born in 1990. Um, by the time I was eight years old, the Bulls had won six championships. <laughs> Michael Jordan was the best player on the team. So he was obviously my idol growing up. And, you know, he obviously excelled at basketball, but in his free time, he was pictured a lot playing golf. So I really thought that that was, you know, oh, this is how you relax, <laughs> like <laughs> off the basketball court. So in many ways, I think he really shaped my childhood. And so, um, you know, I can even remember my first set of golf clubs, ironically, being the Wilson Signature 23 Michael Jordan set of clubs. Wow. So I was all in basketball and golf from, from a very young age. And 
Um, I think those are also the, just the two that I excelled at the most. So, sure. yeah. Well, in college, you were a two-sport athlete of, you guessed it, golf and basketball. Um, you know, what were the biggest, I would, I would love to hear from you, like off the course, off the court, what were the biggest differences when it came to, you know, preparing in the weight room and all that type of stuff, or, or what were the similarities? Yeah. So, um, I played, I played basketball during my undergrad. So I played four years of basketball and then I made the switch to golf right after, um, right in the spring of my senior season of basketball. So I switched right onto the golf team and then played another year through grad school. Um, so the biggest difference, I would say, like you said, the weight room, that was, that was a huge difference. And then also just the team aspect. Mm. Um, I think when, when I joined the golf team, actually a lot of my teammates would say that I, I brought the team a little bit closer together. So I brought more of that, that team energy that we had from basketball, especially in the weight room or different things like that, where we could be together as a team. Sure. Um, so that was the biggest difference really is, is in basketball, obviously one, you need to be kind of subbed in and put on the court and you're, you're playing at different times, different positions. Um, and if you're not having a good game, you can be subbed out. <laughs> um, so there wasn't that pressure to, to kind of be perfect all the time in golf. I think the biggest, um, obstacle is obviously the, the mental challenge of, of overcoming bad shots and, and continuing on. You know, we played 36 holes, so people don't think golf is an endurance sport, but uh, when you show up at the course at 5 a.m. to start warming up and you play all the way till sundown, it, it is a lot harder than people think and a lot harder than um, your average amateur golfer thinks when they go out and play 18 and then they're exhausted and, and go grab a beer at the, at the, um, the clubhouse, right? So it's right. totally different at the, at the college level. And, um, but in the weight room, especially like just the difference in the, the amount of weight that the people were lifting, obviously, um, basketball athletes are expected to, to push a little bit more weight. Um, but we would do a lot of circuit training and stuff for, for golf. And I enjoyed that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it was a smaller team. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't want to like discourage anyone from this, but I know we talked about, um, you know, in college, you just like, you learn how to get better at golf and, there are just certain things that like you're focusing on because like, that's kind of your life at the, at that time. Um, mm -hmm. what were you, what would you say were some of the like strategic or even just like fundamental things that you learned in college golf that you continue to use? So I would say that up until college golf, I really didn't focus a lot on this is going to sound silly, but a lot on getting better or a lot mm. of what I was doing on a daily basis. So golf always kind of naturally came easy to me. Um, I had coordination, all that growing up, I was a natural athlete. And so I made the, the varsity team as a freshman, you know, I missed going downstate by one stroke, but I never had a swing co coach growing up. Um, and so I was always just in like kind of group lessons. Yeah. Um, so I started playing group, you know, golf when I was like five and then played with a lot of it for me growing up was family. So I would go out and play with my dad and my brothers. My mom would ride along in the cart and keep score. And so for me, college golf was the first time where I actually had a coach that was challenging me on a daily basis to, to think about how I was going to play the hole, where I wanted to position my ball, um, you know, rather than just always trying to hit it as far as I could or as long as I could, um, you know, making those decisions to, ch to change what I was hitting off the tee box to position myself to then um, go into the green and regulation. Uh, we also spent a lot of time practicing indoors because I played golf in Peoria, Illinois, Bradley. Um, yeah. So a lot of that was chipping and putting and a lot of chipping and putting games. And so 
um, that was big, but I would say more so just my coach, uh, Mary Moan Swanson now, but um, she, she went to Princeton University. So she, the mental aspect was, was very big for her. So I would say that she really challenged me to think about the way that I was playing courses. Mm, yeah. And that's so interesting. I like how you said you grew up playing like group golf. Cause I feel like that's how a lot of women are learning how to play now in their adult lives is like through groups, group lessons, group, you know, playing with other people. Um, but it's interesting to identify too, that like, if you want to get better, like you still have to practice, you still have to like know what to work on or have an idea of what you want to work on. Exactly. Yeah. You, you need to, yeah, you need help at times to kind of focus your, your target practice energy um, but for me growing up you know even in just talking with my dad and reflecting on it um, it was always something that I wanted to do like he never forced me to go to the golf course so we were going as a family and that's what we were we were playing nine holes on a Sunday or um, I grew up playing in a, a nine hole league so from when you were age like six to eleven um, on Fridays you could go play nine holes they would send you out in a foursomes I would play with my brother and his friends and then um, you know there'd be like one lesson per hole per week. So we'd learn about um, sand shots or we'd learn about putting or whatever the case might be. And then the, there'd be like a circle drawn on the green. So if you, if you get it inside that, that targeted area, you get a free hot dog or a free <laughs> fountain drink. And so that was really the motivation to kind of keep getting better. But I always just had fun um, playing golf. And I think that's why I stuck with it. And then I realized at some point, okay, you know, I, I could be pretty decent at this if I put a little bit more time into it, especially if I put as much time as I had put into um, improving in, in basketball throughout, you know, my, my childhood and, and college career. So. Got it. And so I, I want to talk about your career because it's super cool and it's very diverse. Um, but before that, did you have aspirations to play either professional golf or in the WNBA? Um, I, I never thought I was good enough to play professional golf. Um, I will say for a while growing up, I remember very vividly when the WNBA started and that it would be a big thing for my, for my life moving forward. I thought that was, I just remember, even though I was young, I remember that being a very influential moment. And so I thought, you know, maybe I could one day play in the WNBA and then I saw it as a possibility because all of a sudden there were these females that were playing at that level. Um, when I got to the end of my college career, there was a, you know, some opportunities to play potentially overseas. Mm. And I made the decision that I wanted to start my career. I knew I wanted to work in sports. And so I, I thought if I went and played overseas, it would kind of just delay um, the start of my career. So that's personally why I made the decision to kind of jump right into uh, to working after college. Right. Right. Well, in catching up prior to this, you, you did mention that as a female athlete and having that experience, you were given a lot of really cool opportunities. Um, just was wondering if you would expand upon that and like, what, did you find those opportunities maybe early in your career and helped shape what you were going to do next? Yeah, I can remember like the first opportunity being offered to me kind of as a joke, but also serious at the same time. So um, as soon as I turned 16, I started working at the golf course that I grew up playing at. It was a public course. We had um, 45 holes, two 18-hole courses, and a nine-hole course that was great for kids and stuff. Um, but I, I worked on the carts for a long time, then I worked in the pro shop. And so when I was working in the cart area, uh, um, a, a guy had seen me play, and he came back, and he was returning his cart, and he he kind of offered me a job for his steel company, and he said that he wanted 
he wanted a female to to represent their company in about 80 golf outings a year and mm. just mix and mingle and talk about their product but also be able to shoot in the 80s right so <laughs> you know he wanted somebody that was routinely going to be finishing you know pretty well or winning the, the female long drive things like that mm. and so i was still in college at the time so i would go back during college and i would i would still work on the carts and stuff um, so I, obviously I didn't accept the position, but it was right. just interesting and eye-opening to me that that was kind of the first time that something like that had happened. Um, and then moments like that just kept kind of popping up throughout my career. Um, so people would very frequently say like, oh, you know, we, we, you're an athletic female. We've been looking for someone to do this, do that. And that's kind of how I got started into, into officiating as well. They said, if, if you played the game, you know the game you know, you're still an athlete, um, you're, you're going to excel pretty quickly because they're looking for former players um, and, and you'll, you'll rise to the top, especially because at the time when I started officiating, um, there was a big push to get, to get women officials, especially on the women's college side. Um, so there was a transition kind of from your typical setup. So there's three officials on a crew and sometimes it could be three males, you know, whatever, whatever the makeup might be. Um, but all of a sudden it, it became expected that kind of the ratio was at least one female on each women's college game, okay. which all of a sudden there was like a shortage of, of the amount of qualified females to do that. So there was great opportunity to, if I had the proper training, excel quickly to that level mm. um, because there were all these positions on each game. And now there's crews, there was a, the first, um, I, I work in the G League and we had an all three female uh, crew in the G League cool. um, for a men's game. So a lot of cool things like that have popped up too. Nice. Well, I know we're bouncing a little bit around with like, especially your career, but you know, out of school, um, I saw that you, you did study communications and you worked for the Chicago Sky um, as a media and communications manager. What was just like, you know, entering the workforce? I know you had, you clearly had other jobs before that, but um, were you at that time, were you like, oh yeah, I want to work in communications and PR? Yeah, I think I wanted to do everything that I thought was cool in sports. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was in college, I applied to, to be an intern with NBC for the Olympics. That was, mm. that was something that was coming up. And I actually remember that being like my first failure. I didn't even get to the interview stages for that. Mm. Um, but anything that was that was cool. Um, especially for me, I wanted to work for the bulls. Um, so I thought that would have been the coolest thing. Um, the next biggest thing was the NBA. So I had applied and I was an NBA summer league intern, um, which really got me some great experience and, and networking opportunities, um, in basketball. Yeah. And then after that, I, I knew I wanted to, to get back to Chicago after finishing college. And so I was involved with the Chicago sky for a number of years in various positions and like youth basketball, um, and, uh, community relations, different things like that. And then I got to know the coach and the team and they had offered me the position of, of public, public relations manager. And so that was my first kind of breakthrough moment into the, into the sports industry. And some people might say, Oh, it's the WNBA. It's not really a breakthrough moment, but for me it was. And especially because at that level, they allow you to do so much. So I was yeah. doing not only, you know, our press releases, managing player appearances and interviews and all of that, but I was also doing all of our social media accounts. And so I, I was allowed to, to learn a lot very quickly. Um, and I think that that kind of prepared me for the rest of my career as well. Yeah, definitely. When 
I know, you know, resources are smaller in women's sports. And so when you are working in a specific role, you may actually be wearing like 10 hats. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, this is actually another opportunity or example of like what you were mentioning before, as far as opportunities being, being a former um, division one female athlete. Right. So part of my role in, in, uh, as a public relations manager, I had to go into the locker room after the game, grab the players for the, for the interview requests. Um, and, you know, they decided very specifically at that time that they wanted, they wanted a female and they wanted somebody that they felt like could get along with the players mm. to convince them that they had to do this interview or they had to do this appearance and, and kind of why. So um, there, there was definitely somebody more qualified at the time that had worked for a major corporation in public relations for a number of years, but they decided to give me the opportunity because, um, because they thought I was a better fit uh, with the players at the time. Yeah. And so I see you were a referee, referee operations trainee. So if you don't mind sharing, like what was the timeline for you becoming the ref you are today for, you know, NCAA D1 women's basketball and then the G League? Yeah. So it's, it's actually like kind of really difficult to follow. <laughs> I apologize to anybody at this point that's very confused, <laughs> but I've always kind of dabbled in, in golf and basketball my entire career. So right. Um, when I was working in public relations for the Chicago Sky, um, there's a busy season, which is the summer. So this, the season goes from about April, May um, through September, October. Uh, and then I, have, I had more free time. So um, I met somebody that had convinced me to, to try officiating. Um, and so I started officiating at the high school level. So in, the, in a lot of the same conferences and, and games that I played in when I was growing up in high school. So the same assigner. Um, gave me opportunities to be on the courts. So I started with, actually, I mean, even before that, I did like fifth grade girls basketball. So I did that at first, and then I worked my way up and I did high school. I did like, um, I would do the A and B freshman sets, then I did the sophomore, and then I did, you know, varsity level. And so I moved up rather quickly doing that. Um, and then as I was, so I, at that time, I was working in public relations. And then in the winter months, I was, I was refing high school basketball in Chicago. Sure. Um, and each summer I would go back and, and be an intern at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. And when I was out there, um, that's where I met George Tolliver, who was in charge of the G League officials at the time. And he it's crazy. He actually saw me throw a T-shirt into the stands. Um, I was doing some game operations things, and he thought that I had potential to be a referee somehow from that. <laughs> and so awesome. he, he had talked to me a little bit more about it then. And then uh, a few months later, he actually sent me an email and said that the NBA was starting a referee development program. Okay. And so they were looking for, it was, it was the first year that they were having the program. And so it was going to be eight former um, division one athletes uh, that they were going to see if they could expedite the training process to make them NBA officials. And so I interviewed for that position and that's where I became a referee operations trainee mm -hmm. and so that required me to, to move to New York. So I moved to New York city for three years. I worked at the NBA league offices. Um, I did a rotation like with the, with WNBA. Um, so I was working in the office for the WNBA and then I was also refereeing all around New York city. So I would ref the pro-ams. I did um, men's leagues all around the city. And that's um, also where I started refing women's college basketball. So my first two division one conferences were um, the MAC, M-A-A-C and the Ivy League. So I started on the East Coast and then kind of transitioned my way out. And currently I'm in 15 division one conferences now. So just continued to, to grow from there. 
Um, but that was really the big, the referee development program was really the big switch for me where I, I left my career in public relations behind and went all in with, with officiating and, and never looked back from there. And then COVID hit and, and then you decided to add something else to your plate of becoming an LPGA professional. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I think the overall like theme to me is just you have found these pockets of time and balance that you've been able to do what you love. And so you were able to add golf kind of like back into the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the decision-making behind wanting to get that status? So I think the seasonality actually of basketball and golf is, is really always what kind of kept me looking for something more because then yeah. once I became a basketball referee, I found myself working more in the winter months. And so then I had the summer off and not that I needed to do something else, but I wanted to do something else. So sure. even while I was in New York, I started working for, it was called golf and body, which has since been bought out by, by five iron and transformed to a five iron in Herald square. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I started working there, and then I actually played around at golf at Beth Page with Kelly Brook, who's the director of golf out there, okay. and she she's the one that really inspired me to to become certified as an LPGA instructor. She said, you know, cool. you have you have the playing ability, um, and she's like, you know, I recommend that if you're going to spend your free time working in the golf industry, you know, you might as well um, start teaching people and do something that, that you really enjoy. So when COVID hit, I found that the perfect opportunity to really look into what she was saying. Mm -hmm. And I signed up for the class online. I took it from May until August and I became an LPGA level one certified instructor. Um, and so for me, that was huge. And then five iron, uh, gave me an opportunity to start as an instructor right away. Um, so with the COVID boom, I started, I started teaching in August, 2020, and I've been teaching there ever since. And, um, I love it. And I, you know, I can't really see myself, especially balancing basketball. I think it's just the perfect fit for me as far as um, a facility and a company that allows me to do both things that I love. It's so cool. How do you, how do you balance it all? Do you just kind of like you're in basketball mode and you have that, or do you think sometimes things disperse and like come together? How, how do you balance it? Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely challenging at times, you know, even, yeah. you know, we, I had a game time change for yesterday. So I had to move around some lessons and, and reschedule some things. So in basketball season, it's definitely more challenging to open up my book and, and allow myself to teach quite a bit of lessons. But, um, that's, that's another case where, where the seasonality just aligns appropriately. So as basketball is going to be finishing up here at the end of March that's also when people are really getting the itch to be back on the golf course and when lessons really pick up so I'll be able to open up my book at five iron um, kind of right at the right time um, where there's where there's a bunch of people coming in and wanting to to get better for for the summer of golf um, so I've also enjoyed now that um, five iron has opened in so many different cities and I travel so much for work. I've, I've tried to make it a point to go to all the different locations kind of yeah. as I'm out about my travels, just to see what they're like. Totally. Um, I've been to the Baltimore one, the Pittsburgh one, uh, Vegas, obviously the ones in Chicago, Herald square in New York. Um, I would love to see the DC one. I haven't gone there yet, but they're rapidly expanding to all these cities. And so I think, you know, in no time it will be, easy for me when I have free time in a city to pop into a five iron, whether it's to hit some balls or to, to catch up on some work, just kind of sitting at the bar. So um, that's, I think, where the overlap is starting to occur. 
Um, but yeah. Nice. I think you have a good thing going. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of people ask me if I, if I ever work and I, I do, I do work. <laughs> I just enjoy what I do uh, quite a bit. I would consider the hardest part of my work, honestly, probably the travel. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's a lot of preparation that goes into games as far as reading the rules and, and being, you know, fit to be on the court and different things like that and the mechanics. Um, but the travel really becomes, you know, pretty, pretty exhausting over time. So, um, that's, I would say the hardest part. And then as far as teaching golf, I think it's so fun. And at five iron, we get such a variety of, of people that come in for lessons sure. and so meeting all the people that are interested in golf at, and meeting them kind of at the stage where they are. Right. So mm -hmm. meet them where they are and figure out where they want to go. Um, because there's so many people in golf that come in for lessons for so many different reasons and they have different goals whether it's they want to play in their first company outing like they've been invited and they don't want to look stupid or they don't want to feel like they don't know what they're doing um or they you know they're a five handicap and they want to get lower so yeah. everybody kind of comes in with a different goal and it's fun to be able to to help everybody at different levels yeah I love it um well since we've had this parallel theme of basketball and golf I would love to just talk about like the culture of those two sports and your experiences with that um, you know, both of them are, I, you tell me, but I would think both of them are relatively a male dominated industry. Um, mm -hmm. so what has it been like for you just being a female working in both of those and have you seen similarities or differences? I would say that, yes, both are, are male dominated, um, industries. And it's actually kind of funny the way that I started, um, officiating basketball, um, when I first started refing high school basketball, I had to get my uniform, right? So I had to get, you know, pants and a shirt and shoes. And, and that was the hardest thing in, in getting started um, because I put on the pants and they, were, they only had men's, men's officials pants at the time. <laughs> so, you know, I put on the pants and just didn't feel athletic. Um, so it wasn't until I met my first mentor um, as a female official uh, that I learned really how to tailor my pants or how to have my uniform fit in a way that made me feel um, powerful, feminine, athletic, mm -hmm. all of those things at the same time and kind of look good, feel good on the court that that kind of got me into it. And the same thing I think goes for for golf, really, when people look to get started. I have so many females that come to me for lessons and they also ask me, you know, where should I go to get pants, shorts, shoes, you know, all of these things, because there's a lot of pro shops where it's just a corner of space that has a few women's items and, you know, they're very old fashioned and they don't want to wear the super long skirt or the old fashioned polo. And so now there's all these types of athleisure and, and crossover things that can make you feel as a female confident and comfortable going onto the course and wearing something that you feel like represents you. Yeah. So I would say that's kind of an overlap and that's just as being a female in general in both industries um being a professional i would say refing the the pro-ams in new york was was some of the hardest basketball i've ever had to referee just because of the environments so a lot of them are like saturday night gersh park in brooklyn you know it's a pretty rough environment the crowd is is very condensed onto the court um and so being in those environments with with players that are playing at a high level, um, mm -hmm. it's very important that that you establish yourself very early on. So as long as I knew 
what I was doing out there and they got the sense that I was qualified from the tip within the first five minutes of a game, then there would be no problems, right? So, and they can tell right away if you know what you're doing or not. So there is that first moment of, oh, she's a female stepping onto the court in this very hard pro-am game or G League game or NBA Summer League, whatever it might be. But then as long as you, you perform at the level that you're qualified to work, then it's not an issue. And the same thing applies to, to golf and to teaching golf. I thought, you know, early on, I, I was surprised with the number of males I was getting to come in for lessons. And then I learned mm. really quickly that it, it wasn't, it wasn't a factor of, oh, I don't want to be taught by a female instructor. They were just signing up for lessons and they wanted to get better. And I was qualified and they could tell that very, very early on in the lesson that I was qualified and they were going to get better through throughout that session. So I would say just as a female in both industries, as long as you, um, you know, are qualified, confident, all of those things, then you can be very successful and you will have that first glance of, oh, she's a female in this industry. But as long as you know what you're doing, then that goes away, I think, very quickly. Was that something that you felt like you needed to learn or was that something that just came naturally? Um. I would say I needed to learn it a little bit more as I was transitioning and having the aspirations of becoming an NBA official or getting into the men's side of things. Um, so Lauren Holtkamp was one of my, my mentors and she's an NBA referee. Um, and I know a lot of the female officials that, that are in the NBA now. And so just in talking with them and, and being, you know, it's different in women's college, being on the court. You know, I was a, I was a women's college basketball player. Sure. So I very much, I very much belong there. Right. And, and not that I don't belong in other places, but you need to, to work a little bit harder to, to prove, you know, that you are qualified and capable of holding those positions. And so, um, yeah, I think I learned that in, in talking with mentors. Yeah. Nice. I keep hearing you mention mentors. And I think it's like a very cool thing that you reach out and want to learn from other people. I think like it's something I'm very bad at. <laughs> um, so I would love to just hear like, is, is, is it something you value? Is it something that you just like, you're very um, proactive and you keep mentorship top of mind in your life? I think it's really important. And I think I learned it early on. I had a, a, a college teacher um professor that was he was big on that and in my sports communication class the follow-up email and just mm -hmm. staying engaged and, and people that you meet throughout different events or things that you go to and, and you find something that you have in common with them then following up and, and continuing to build that relationship even if they live in a different state or wherever the case might be if there's somebody that can help you in your career in any way then I've I've taken time to kind of go out of my way and continue to communicate with those people or make efforts, even at times if it was like, um, if I felt like I was gonna learn something of value, flying or driving a distance out of my pocket, you know, if they would allow me to sit and let me watch, watch a lesson or watch them referee or whatever the case might be, and I could, I could really get something out of that that would get me to the next level. I've always found value in that. And so it's not always things that you're going to be paid for. And especially early on in my career working in the WNBA, it wasn't, 
it wasn't about the money. It was always about advancing, advancing my level of expertise in any area and just continued learning. And so even in college, like getting, getting a master's degree and, and now being in the LPGA teacher education program, um, you know, I want to get TPI certified next. I want to go to level two of the LPGA teaching program. Um, I have aspirations to hopefully one day be an NBA official um, and just continue to ref higher and higher levels of basketball. Um, and so, yeah, I think mentorship is, is very, very important. And I love connecting with people. Um, and I would love to actually that's one of my goals moving forward too, especially as a basketball official is to become a, a mentor for some younger female officials in the Chicagoland area or anywhere where I could help them get started the same way that people did that for me. Awesome. Well, I like to always end the podcast with just what advice you have for women who want to get into golf. I would say it goes back to, to what we just talked about is, is find, find a female that's already in there. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. um, make your first experience a good one. So what you guys do with For the Ladies is really important, the events that you host and, and kind of giving women an opportunity to, to meet other women that are trying to learn golf or, or get involved <laughs> is a big thing. And there's a number of people that actually find me as an instructor at Five Iron because they look up LPGA teacher in Chicago yeah. and that's where I'm listed. And so um, there's people that have come to me and their first experience was a bad one, whether it was with a, you know, a very old male, old fashioned teacher, whatever the case might be, where they feel like they got disinterested in the sport. Um, it's important to find somebody that you feel like you can relate to. And that feels like they understand where you want to go in golf and then, um, just have fun with it. Like for me, I have a group of people that I play, I try to play with every Monday, And, um, you know, so I've tried to find females in the industry that I like to play with, or even just males and get together with them and just have fun. Um, and that's the biggest thing is, is you need to play golf the way that you want to enjoy it. So whether that's three holes, six holes, nine holes, you know, playing a couple holes and having some transfusions, whatever the case might be, um, that's kind of how you, you break into it. And then obviously you're going to have more fun if you're getting better and if you know what you want or know what to do. So continuing to find those ways, whether it's like you said, group lessons, individual lessons, or just kind of clinics and meetups, um, ways that you can get better because it will be more enjoyable as you continue to improve. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was really cool. You're a badass. It was like really cool to hear your story in full. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I thought going into this, I was like, I'm nowhere near as cool as any of the other, the other people she's had on before. I was like, the turf grass girl is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're cool too. Uh, thanks so much, Lauren. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E.